i.e., there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Women just don't want it to be with me. And the thing that I tell most men is, is that you've probably never, ever let a woman see the real you. Dear Men. I'm super pumped about this one because I'm a big fan of my guest. I'm kind of a fangirl, actually. Um, Dr. Robert Glover is the author of two books. He's the author of No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is a book that I used to require my coaching clients to read before working with me because I thought it was that incredible. And he's also the author of a new book, Dating Essentials for Men. So Dr. Glover is a relationship expert who specializes in helping men find the love and sex they want. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Melanie, thanks for the invitation. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so today we're going to be talking about five essential dating tips for men. And I thought maybe briefly before we get into the tips, if you could just explain a little bit about how you got into the work that you got into, because I find that uh, a great story. Okay. Well, um, there's probably two stories. One is how, how did I become the author of No More Mr. Nice Guy? And the other one is how did I become the author of Dating Essentials for Men? Um, I'll, I'll give brief, brief backgrounds for both. Um, yes. my, my background and training is in marriage and family therapy. My, my doctorate is in marriage and family therapy. And uh, so I, I've been a therapist, uh, at least used to be a therapist. I uh, don't so much lean that direction, but I practiced for probably close to 30 years. And um, in my second marriage, my wife um, started telling me, she said, you know, you're such a nice guy, but you can be so mean. You can be so passive aggressive. You can be so hurtful. And she said, I, I, I can't live with this. Everybody thinks you're a great guy and you can be, but then you're not. She said, you need to go get some help. And I thought, wait a minute, why do I need to go get help? You're the one who's you know upset all the time and never happy. And I'm always trying to give and please you and make you happy, but it never seems to work. And um, well, I, I wanted to stay in that marriage. So I actually went and joined a men's group and got some therapy. And luckily, you know, quickly got over this, how come my wife doesn't respond well to me being a nice guy? And I came to realize that I was working from a paradigm that didn't serve me well and, and did indeed often make me not such a, a nice guy. Um, and so I started learning how to set boundaries, ask for what I want, tell the truth, be clear and direct, um, things that actually made me easier to, to live with. And um, I started noticing in my practice as a marriage therapist that a lot of couples were coming to work with me and the men coming in with their girlfriends or wives were saying the same things I had always said. I'm a nice guy. I'm one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I treat her well. I treat her better than her ex. I'm raising her kids. I do everything to make her happy. It's never good enough. She, you know, She's always unhappy. When is it going to be my turn? And I thought, wow, I can finish these guys' sentences for them. So um, probably 25 years ago, I started a No More Mr. Nice Guy men's group with uh, six, eight guys. We met every other week, and I just started writing some some 
lessons, some chapters to, to give them every time we met. And um, over time, they and their partners started saying, hey, you need to write a book. You need to go on Oprah. So over a period of about six years, I just kept writing and eventually did become a book, which was No More Mr. Nice Guy that came out um, now about seven, 16, 17 years ago and um, continues to do very well, uh, thanks to people like you, Melanie, who recommend it to all their clients. Yep. Uh, I'm very grateful for, for coaches that like you. And um, it's still doing really well. In fact, it, it does better every year in terms of its sales. And uh, I'm grateful for that. And so I'm a recovering nice guy. Now, part two of the story is that I did that relationship I was in did eventually end. We split in 2002 and got divorced in 2003. And I found myself in my late 40s out there in the dating world after 25 years of marriage. And I had not dated since college. I did not do it very well back then. I, I, I tended to practice what I now call nice guy seduction in that uh, I would just go really slow with a woman that I kind of had a crush on, uh, really wouldn't a approach her very directly, maybe sit near her in class and try to impress her by knowing the questions that the teacher or professor asked her. I might listen to her talk about her problems or offer to do something to help her out and, and just go really slow and hide my sexual agenda from her. Um, and, and I even hid it for myself. It's kind of like, well, no, I, that's not what I want. I, you know, I just want her to like me and think I'm a good guy. And, um, and when I did get a girlfriend and, and or a wife, <laughs> I stayed way too long because I was so afraid of getting back out there in that dating world again. So in my late 40s, around 2003, when I got out of the relationship and thought, okay, if I'm going to do this again, if I'm going to get involved with relationships again, I want to do it different. And the two things I decided, number one, I had to become a better picker. And number two, I had to become a better ender. And I had to learn how to date. I, I, had, I had no clue how to date. Now, I'd, I'd done a lot of work on myself, done a lot of therapy. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd worked on a lot of my nice guy issues. I, you know, I, I was comfortable in my own skin. Um, and I, I, I quickly got out there and, you know, a lot of my clients gave me books and CDs and DVDs and videotapes to read and listen and watch. And, and I just went out and started trying things um, and just started interacting with people more in general and started being bolder, started taking chances. And, and quickly I started having a lot of dating success and I was going on a lot of dates and I was having a lot of mating success as well. And that it seemed like uh, a lot of women were wanting to be sexual with me. And my client said, you know, Robert, you're doing well at this, teach us. And I thought, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a dating coach. I'm not a dating teacher. I mean, I, at that time, I still kind of had this belief. I don't, I don't, even, I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, but I, I put together a dating seminar probably 12, 13 years ago, and that turned into some other workshops, and it turned into four a series of four online classes that I taught for about 10 years. And uh, now it's turned into a book. So, um, and, and it's turned into um, some really great relationships and uh, a marriage. So I'm uh, approaching three years married to, to my wife now. Mazel tov on the new marriage, new-ish. Thank you. Thank you. New-ish, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, um, I appreciate that story, especially what you were saying about the, the sort of, um, I don't know, I'm trying to do everything right. I'm, I'm giving, I'm trying to please her. I'm trying to be a nice guy. I don't understand why it's not working. 
Cause I find that I see that pattern a lot in my clients and Mm -hmm. that's part of why I recommend your book because I think No More Mr. Nice Guy kind of lays out that pattern and the why behind it and how to break it in the most straightforward manner I've ever seen. It's very, it's just, it's very readable. It's easy. If anyone is listening, I really couldn't recommend that more. Um, And I'm looking forward to hearing more about Dating Essentials because I'm, I'm pretty sure it's probably in the same style. Well, so it is. And both of them come out of my own struggles, right? I pretty much, I think everything I write or teach is, is something I've struggled with and, you know, went seeking answers for And the dating essentials is the same way as a, a no more Mr. Nice guy. I, I was struggling. I was stuck. What I was doing was not taking me where I wanted to go. And I, I had to find a better way. And I think if that's the, I think those are the best teachers, the ones that have struggled with something and found some answers that actually work. Absolutely. So let's get into it um, so that we make sure we have enough time. So you are going to give us five essential dating tips for men today. And I'm super looking forward to this because I haven't heard them yet. So you're right. I, I haven't shared them with you. you you're you're going to find them out. I didn't know what they were 15 minutes ago. No, that's, but, <laughs> So, I, I, yeah, let's just take them one at a time. Or you want me to tell all five or should we? No, just yeah, let's do them one at a time. One at a time. Yes. All right. Um, essential dating tip number one. Um, it may sound real logical, but it also may sound kind of paradoxical to a lot of men. And dating, essential dating tip number one is be yourself. Now, again, you know, People have probably have always told, you know, nice guys, oh, just be yourself. You're such a nice guy. Be your, be yourself. You know, women, women will respond well to that. Now, unfortunately, women actually don't um, necessarily respond well in terms of having a sense of attraction or arousal towards nice guys. Um, but, and every nice guy's probably heard women say, oh, you know, you're going to make somebody so lucky someday. You're such a nice guy. And the, and, and the guy's thinking, well, how come you don't want to date me if I'm such a great guy and somebody's going to be so lucky to have me? But here's the deal. Is it the majority of men I work with, whether they identify as being a nice guy or not, is most of them are not themselves. They're not themselves in life in general, and they're especially not themselves when interacting with women. And most of the time, they're trying to get a woman's approval. They're trying to make a good impression. They're trying to avoid doing anything that might get a negative reaction from the woman. They're trying to do things to be nice, to to be accommodating, to be helpful, to be pleasing, to be different from other men. And when that doesn't work, what happens is a lot of these guys just take away, women just aren't attracted to me, i.e., there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Women just don't want it to be with me. And the thing that I tell most men is is that you've probably never, ever let a woman see the real you. Uh, You you have a thought, but you don't share it. Something funny or humorous comes to mind, but you don't overthink it. Or you have an impulse to, to, to touch her or be playful or, you know, to tease her or grab her hand and say, come on, let's go. But you don't because you think it might be the wrong thing. And so there, there's never a real you. And the thing is, no woman, none, can, can have a sense of deep attraction towards a guy who's not real, who's not his real, authentic self. And so 
it seems odd that in terms of teaching men how to date, I actually have to teach them how to be themselves. And, and so I actually even have to break that down. You know, what, how, how do you become your real self? And so I do teach them to, to pay attention when they're trying to please, when they're trying to get approval, when they're trying to avoid disapproval. And a couple of things that I, I always tell guys, if you have an impulse, act on it. And if you have something in your head, blurt it. And, and it creates an emotional tension that is, a, that, that is essential for women to feel attraction and arousal towards a man. If you smooth everything over, right, withhold all those thoughts that are on the tip of your brain, uh, don't act on any of your impulses to, to touch her or grab her hand or give her a kiss or say, let's go do this or give me your number. If you, if you avoid all of those impulses, there's no tension. No emotional tension. Now, we, we men don't tend to like emotional tension in our relationships with women, but women have to have that in order to feel attraction and arousal towards a man. So, number one, dating, number one essential dating tip be yourself. Yeah. And what I hear in that too is um, be, be willing to be messy, be willing to have it not be perfect, be willing to not have planned out what you were going to say. But like you said, you have the impulse to say, like, damn, you look great in that top. Just Mm -hmm. say it. Don't worry about, is it the right time? Is she going to be offended? All of that, all of the rest of it. Just be messy, be real and, and say the thing that's on your mind. I couldn't agree with that more because to me, when I, when I receive that from a man, I feel closer to him. I feel closer to him Mm -hmm. and I want to be closer to him rather than this sort of sanitized version of, like you said, the nice guy, which is like kind of boring. That's right. Like that's the problem. Kind of, kind of boring, like really boring. Yeah. Like that's the problem with being, with trying to be perfect is it's not engaging that, you know, the mess is what makes us love each other as people. So I really like that as, as easy takeaways of just like blurt the thing out that you're thinking. And then what was the other one? Act on impulse. You have an impulse, act on it. And, and yeah, it's going to be messy. It, it, it might not always land well. And, and you got to be willing to be okay with that because like you said, um, nice tends to be boring. Now that doesn't mean, you know, I'll just be, you know, blunt. Don't be an ass. Don't be a jerk. But usually there's just the, the things we hold back are not about us being an ass or a jerk. They're just the things of, oh, it might not land well. It might not be the right thing to do. And I can think of so many things kind of going back to, to when I was dating that, when I acted on impulse and just blurted, it it didn't always land well, but often it had a positive effect. Now, this isn't a technique. There's no goal. There's no attachment to an outcome. But as you said, you've got to be willing to be messy because relationships are messy. And one of the things I say, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Um, people are not attracted to perfect people. We're attracted to people with rough edges. We're attracted to people that, that we can have some sense of connection with because we all have our own rough edges. Yeah. So um, I like that a lot. Yeah, I like the way you put it. Be willing to make a mess. Yes, be willing to make a mess. Perfect. Okay, dating essential number two. Dating essential number two. And okay, I'll just say it. Be, become a social animal. Now, let me kind of go a little bit further into that. And, and that's probably already going to freak a lot of guys out. Now, here's something that I've found working with a lot of guys that have a history of not dating well. Um, and this doesn't matter if it's the, the, you know, the 20-something that's never had a girlfriend or never had sex or the, the guy that's had a few, you know, 
relationships that lasted three months each or, um, or even a guy, you know, going through a divorce or separation out there in the world. Again, most of the men I work with that struggle around dating actually just struggle to be social in general. And one of the things that I often say about my approach in dating essentials for men and most of the material in the classes, in the book, in the workshops, I, I say that what I'm take, what I'm really doing is expanding men's social and emotional intelligence. And I'm using their desire to have a girlfriend and have sex as the motivation to do that work. Because it is work to, to expand your, your social and emotional intelligence. And when I was teaching the online classes, I, 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 every week I recorded what I called uh, Dating Essentials for Men Q&A podcast and recorded over 200 of them in time. And um, I ended every one with the following admonition. Uh, get out of your house, expand your route, linger in public, talk to the people you meet, test for interest, and walk through the open doors. And because that is so crucial that, you know, a lot of guys, well, I just, they just want to do, you know, online dating or they, or they, you know, just want to have, they want to find some magic bullet that, that works in every situation to get women attracted to them, or they turn to pickup and the pickup is, you know, you know, they're going to go out and they're going to run these routines and these negs and these hypnosis and NLP. And, and then women are going to instantly want to give them phone numbers and, and they'll never get rejected and never feel foolish. But life doesn't work like that. They, you know, these guys just turn into geeks with techniques. And, and that typically isn't particularly attractive to women either. You know, my work on drunk 22-year-olds with low self-esteem, but in general, it doesn't take you where you want to go. And so the becoming a social animal, I tell guys, miracles happen around people. And unless you got a living room full of people, you're not going to have any miracles till you get out of your house. And I, uh, one of my personal mantras is I love waking up in the morning not knowing how my day is going to end. And my life tends to be pretty adventurous just because I, I'm out a lot. I, 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 you know, when I was single, I'd go to Starbucks and work on my laptop. And I would interact with everybody. I mean, not literally everybody, but men, women, old, young it didn't matter. I practiced my social skills of interacting until I got comfortable. If I, you know, if I was going to eat out, I'd go to a restaurant, but I'd sit at the bar and go to, or go to happy hour, or I'd talk to the bartender and get to know the bartender and his name or her name. And I'd, you know, chat with the people around me, never trying to make anything happen, but just practicing those social skills. And there is something about a man being socially competent and, and, looking comfortable and and competent and powerful while he's in public is very attractive to women. And women kind of will see that and go, who is that guy? And, and there's that sense of attraction that there's something about that man that they want to get close to. And then my experience is, and they will often send you signals of, of uh, indicators of interest, and you can decide if you want to act on them or not. But this waiting until, you know, you know, if you never get out of your house or if you always go to the same place every time, or if you go and like, you know, get your food or, you know, get your laundry or do the gym and then get home as quickly as possible, there's no real opportunity for that magic, for those miracles to happen. Most of my friends, uh, my wife, most of the women I've dated all came about as a result of me just being in public places 
and interesting things happening. So I stress you have to work at becoming a social animal. And, and you know, I don't just say go do it. I, I teach guys how to do that because there are some skill sets for learning how to be social so that you can interact. You don't become that bore that people go, oh, you know, I don't want to talk to this guy or, you know, you're not invasive or you're not targeting. But again, I go back to don't wait till you see a pretty woman that you're attracted to across the room and then think, what do I do now? How do I interact? No, if you've been interacting, you know, all the time in social context, that's just one more person that you're just going to interact with exactly the same way you've been interacting with everybody else. Right. Yeah, that is a really good point about practicing, like actually practicing in lower stakes situations because a man's nervous system tends to get more activated when he is experiencing attraction. So if there's mm-hmm. already social anxiety and then you're adding attraction on top of it, that's when a freeze response can take hold. So practicing social interaction and practicing being out there just in general, because, you know, for most human beings, it's kind of stressful meeting new people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like meeting new people because of the way we're wired can be stressful to our systems. We don't know if we're safe yet. We don't know where we stand, et cetera. And so practicing that does help. And um, just one quick tip I would throw in here is social dance. So blues dancing, swing dancing, salsa dancing, they're in almost every city in the world. They usually have a lesson beforehand. They're usually pretty low cost. And you can meet lots of people in one night around something that doesn't involve drinking alcohol, for example. It's fun. The music is good. And you can practice. You can practice being around people. And there's sort of like an excuse to talk to all these different people because you're asking them to dance. So I'm throwing that out there as a like, get out of your house, get, get somewhere where you're meeting people. And a lot of those dances will happen once a week. So you'll get to meet some of the same people over and over, which helps build community. I, 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 I agree with you 100%. I tell men the same thing. I think I, 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 I took two or three years of salsa lessons um, as a single guy. I just thought it looked cool. You know, I want to learn how to dance. And, and uh, you know, uh, I, I've got kind of the basic white man's disease that I don't have very good rhythm. And it took me a while, but it, it truly transformed, you know, my ability to lead, to, to be socially interactive, and, and like I would tell guys, and, and you're right. So if you go to, I know, I don't know if all dance classes work this way, but in salsa, you're in a big circle, like with the women on the inside, the men on the outside. And, you know, you, you practice some moves and about every two or three minutes, the instructor has the guy ship one, one partner over. And then you practice with another person and you introduce themselves. So, so I, I tell guys, you know, I don't know any other place where you can go be with a bunch of women and every about two to three minutes, you introduce yourself, you put their, your hands on their bodies and you start leading them around and they like it. Um, it's just a, a great dynamic. And I tell guys, and this is what I practice. When I went to salsa lessons, I made a point before class and after class to practice being social with the guys there, interacting with the men. And there's something about that as you're interacting with men, the women are noticing that. And there's also something very, very attractive and arousing about men connecting with men in a social context. And yeah. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Go, go do dance. Go do dance. Okay. Dating essential tip number three. Dating essential tip number three. Okay. I'm a therapist. So a lot of these, these tips represent, you know, working on yourself 
on the inside. So dating essential tip, essential dating tip number three is challenge yourself limiting beliefs. Here's the deal. Uh, again, as a therapist, the biggest problem that I think most of us have in life is not, is not who we are. It's not our skill sets. It's not our talents. It's not our, you know, whatever, you know, our, our DNA gave us is, is how we think about ourselves and how we think about the world. And, you know, pretty much all, all psychological theories come back to that. The, these views we have of ourselves and the views we have of our world. And the mind believes everything the mind tells it is true. And if you think the same things long enough, you will believe it to be true. And that's all a belief is, is an often repeated thought. And if you think it enough, it is true. And we believe everything we think, which is kind of the, 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 the error that all humans make, is we believe everything we think is true. And we developed a lot of beliefs about ourselves as very young children, you know, in infancy even, and then developing as children and then especially again in adolescence. And we develop beliefs about ourselves and about the world and our lovability and our desirability and how we fit into the world. And we will always recreate in the world what we believe to be true about ourselves and the world. And so I'll give you an example. Um, I was not a good dater for most of my life. I, and I had some self-limiting beliefs that I became aware of later on as I started looking at these things. One of my self-limiting beliefs was that women just didn't find me attractive. And I kind of thought in that in terms of physical terms. Women did not find me physically attractive. And some other self-limiting beliefs I had is that women think sex is bad. And they think men who want to have sex are bad. Now, I internalize these, you know, in various places, family, mom, dad, growing up at a fundamental Christian church, um, adolescence, uh, feminism of the 1960s and 70s where I, when I was a teenager. And I, like all people, I found ways to make sure these belief systems were manifested in life. And so if I'm walking the planet thinking women just aren't physically attracted to me, I'm not going to notice the women who do seem to be paying attention to me and sending me signals of attraction. If I think women think sex is bad and think that men who want to have sex are bad, I'm going to hide every, you know, even from myself, all indication that I'm talking to this woman, mainly because I want to find out, are we going to see each other naked at some point in time? But I've got to hide that, which means I've got to repress all of my sexual energy, which, again, just makes me so smooth, nice, and, and you know, non-interesting that there's nothing to turn women on. So even if a woman, you know, kind of feels something and wants to connect, if I'm repressing all of my energy, all of my dark energy or everything that I think might get a negative reaction, there, there's nothing to create a polarity or that, that emotional tension I've mentioned that, that would draw somebody to me. And if they did show interest in me because I didn't believe that they, women tended to be interested in me, I wouldn't take any kind of bold action on it. I'd think, oh, I'm misreading it, or she's just being nice, or she was looking at somebody else behind me, not at me. And, and so that perpetuated my dating frustrations in life because the, the world is going to look like what we believe the world is like. And so a big piece, 
and this is, again, this is a big piece that I work a lot with men around. Half of the book of Dating Essentials for Men is around working on this internal stuff, the, the inner game, the mastering your mind kind of stuff. So we do have to become aware of and start challenging our self-limiting beliefs that affect our ability to, to get out and be social, to be attractive to, to the opposite sex, to, to take advantage of opportunities that present themselves, um, to, 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 to be bold, to lead, to be sexual. And one of the best ways I know to become aware of what your self-limiting beliefs are is to start getting out of your comfort zone and going and doing things that make you uncomfortable, like being more social or taking dance lessons. Your self-limiting beliefs will start screaming at you. And you'll hear them loud and clear. But that's okay. That's when you can start addressing them and start questioning, are they really true? Do they really serve me? And are they taking me where I want to go? So I really liked the ones that you mentioned about, like, women don't find me attractive. Women believe sex is bad. Women believe that men who like sex are bad or men who want sex are bad. I'm curious, what what is the, like, um, short version of how you got over those? Um, it, it was a process. Um, partly, I, you know, I did a bunch of therapy um, during my second marriage. Um, my second wife was actually very attractive. And um, I kind of had to sit with that, like, oh, wait a minute, I think that attractive women aren't really attracted to me, but that doesn't seem to actually be true. And then I actually started thinking back on, like, girlfriends that I did have in high school. And especially the younger I was, the more attractive they were. As I got older and somehow developed these self-limiting beliefs, um, I, I, I quit being open to the idea that attractive women would be attracted to me. So that was one piece. Is that, you know, I, I actually just started kind of working on, on some things in therapy and actually started you know, challenging some, some of these things that, um, that I, I held to be true. Now, the, the story about challenging the women not liking sex um, I'll, I'll tell you how really one of the things that helped me the most with this is kind of a, uh, one of those weird, okay, but here it is. I, I was working with a couple, uh, a husband and wife, uh, on, in marriage therapy. And they told me that their son, I don't remember, he was probably 15 or 16. Um, they were afraid he was looking at pornography on the internet. And, um, that was like back when, you know, he was probably pretty technologically, technologically savvy to be able to find porn on the internet, even though that's kind of how it got started. And so this was a few years ago. And so he came in and I said you know, to him, I was just up front, I said, your parents are afraid you're looking at pornography on the internet. And he said, yeah, I am. And, uh, and so we got to talking about that and processing it and kind of, you know, building trust and, you know, and uh, I said, what kind of porn do you look at? And he said, amateur porn. And I said, what's that? I was pretty naive. And um, he said, well, that's just, you know, people just casually, you know, posing for sex and taking pictures. And I, I said, well, would you like to show me what you look at? And he said, okay. So he brought it in probably on a floppy disk. And, um, and we looked at it together. And that's actually what I do when I work with men around porn is I have them show me their porn. And, and we just talk about it like we're talking about, you know, uh, cars or you know, whatever, just taking the shame out of it. And what happened is that was actually had a powerful effect on me because here was women not professional, and this isn't professional porn, but nowadays we'd call them selfies. It was just women taking pictures of themselves, you know, posing in a seductive mode, or they're with their boyfriend, or they're having fun with their girlfriends, but they were just, you know, acting sexual and taking pictures of it. 
And it's not even, it wasn't even graphic stuff. And I thought, wait a minute, these people are doing, these women are doing that because they want to, they like to, they're, they're, they're having fun being sexual people. And I kind of had to step back from that and thought, well, maybe I've been projecting something that isn't completely accurate. And it's funny, you know, when, when I got out there and started dating and, and didn't repress, you know, my sexual self, I didn't push women to have sex, but I found out when I didn't repress my sexual self, women tended to become very sexually assertive with me about, wow, what planet have I landed on? And I would talk about this actually with, with women, both, you know, in dating situations or casually about some of those beliefs I have. And I would tell them a lot of men actually have those beliefs that women don't like sex. And women think men who want sex are bad. And the women are always act surprised, like, really? Why do men think that? I go, well, probably a number of reasons have contributed to it. But, you know, women would say, well, you need to tell men that we women like sex. And I go, okay, I'll tell them that. So that's all been helpful. And, and actually, when I work with men and I tell men this, that, that women are wired to be sexual Ferraris, that, 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 you know, they have several places on their body that can trigger sexual arousal and orgasm, that they can have a lot more orgasms than we can. You know, they're just, what you women are just like, we're, we're sexual mopeds as men, and you guys are sexual Ferraris. And, 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 and I tell guys, women are wired to have more sex more often with more partners and enjoy it more than men are. And guys go, no, that can't be true. I go, no, it is true. I can prove it to you. Um, and so a lot of men out there really have this belief that women don't like sex and they think that men who want to have sex are bad. And when I challenge that belief, it totally and drastically 180 degrees changed my experience of interacting with women. This is gold. I just want to corroborate for the record that women do like sex. And <laughs> I also want to corroborate that I think there are a lot of messages in our culture uh, that men are bad or wrong for wanting sex. And so it's not surprising that that becomes a dominant belief um, in especially boys and young men as they're kind of becoming more aware of that scenario. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, that, that feels very much like we do still live in a puritanical culture and our culture is very weird around sex. There's yes. sexual messages everywhere, but then there's this underlying sex is bad and wrong and, and men who want it are bad and wrong. And like, that's not, you know, that didn't just come out of thin air. Like that is pervasive in the culture, but it's an undercurrent. Um, and like men are pigs, men are dogs, like that stuff that those messages are real and they're out there and they're often repeated. Um, so I kind of want to normalize that that those messages are there and they're not true and women do want sex. We'd really like sex. And we, and I love the thing about the Ferrari. Cause I'm like, yeah, man, I'm a Ferrari. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not like something that's made up. And, um, you know, I think a lot of men have had experiences with women who have, um, I don't know about you, but a lot of my clients have had experiences with women who are shut down um, sexually or have had a, a trauma background when it comes to sex or both. You know, they have a trauma background and they're shut down around their sexuality. So that can be, like you said, like for a man who had that belief and then gets with that woman, well, that's reinforcing that belief, yeah. right? That's what, that's what I did, you know, because yeah. I had that belief. I I, I, I tended to attract women that, that have sexual trauma in their life. And, um, and it, then it just reinforces that belief. 
And, and you're right. There's so many messages. I agree with you. Hunter. I grew up in a fundamental Christian church. I have two degrees in religion. Uh, I get the messages, but our society bombards us with sexual stimuli. But that underlying message is, you know, sex is dirty, bad, and evil. So save it for the one you love. Um, and there's just so much of that going on. Mothers teaching their little boys, be different from your father's. He's a jerk. He's an ass. Um, like I said, I grew up in the sixties where, you know, slogans like, you know, every man's a rapist or an erection's a sign of aggression. And even with, you know, hashtag me too, I completely understand women being vulnerable and, and being violated in many areas of life. And most men take that. Oh, that's, you know, women don't like sex. They're angry. And, you know, I, I, I better, again, uh, the whole Me Too movement, what I've seen in a lot of men is they've gotten more passive because they're afraid of making that mistake that's going to trigger like a you know, social media barrage about them. And uh, so I do teach men the skills to be observers of the signals that women are sending them and, you know, to, to, to be, you know, to, to learn how to observe those signals well. Um, and I, I don't teach men to target women, which most dating coaches do. You know, basically say, oh, she's attractive, she's young, whatever. Yeah, here's the things you go do to, to get her to give you a number. I don't teach men that. I teach men to choose a woman who's choosing, who has chosen you, i.e., a woman who's already sending you signals, indicators of interest that, that she's noticed you. And, and, and from there, you can approach and, and begin to have an interaction built on being authentic and fun and playful rather than on, you know, running game or hiding who you are from them. So, you know, I I get that there's a lot of work we men have to do in this area because we have internalized a lot of those negative messages and we've misinterpreted a lot of them. Yeah. It's encouraging what you're saying though, because what you're saying is as you uncovered these and you got some support, so you got some therapy um, that shifted for you. I mean, the, the whole point of this, right, is that when we're not aware of a belief like this and we're just letting it run us, there's not, you know, you're just going to keep repeating the patterns. But as you uncover them and you get support around it, things do shift and you are in a great relationship now. And you've had other relationships in the past where you've um, had a lot of satisfaction. So it is very changeable. It's not like you got this belief installed when you were set now you're fucked. Like that's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not the, not the best way. And you're right. It has changed. And, I, and I'll, I'll just tell you the best therapy has been getting with women who like sex and, and who were very sexually open and very sexually assertive. And I tell guys, every woman I've been with since my divorce has wanted more sex than me. They, they, they've all been sexual Ferraris and that includes my wife. And, um, you know, that, that I, I often pondered, what planet have I landed on? It doesn't seem to match up with the one in my head that I'd created for most of my life. I love it. Let's get more guys on your planet. Okay, dating okay. number four. Number four. I just added this in and took one out as we were talking. Because um, this, this, this sounds so simple, but it's huge. Uh, essential dating tip number four, walk through the open doors. Now, I think probably we could correct about 70%, 80% of, of the average guy's dating woes if we just helped him take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. 
I can't tell you. I, I, I'll ask guys these questions in my classes and, and workshops. I'll say, how many of you can look back at times in your life where there were various, very obvious opportunities of, of a woman that was sending you signals, you know, approach me, talk to me, or was actually talking you to you, and and you you didn't close, you didn't get her phone number. You I have didn't a great example me. of this when you're done explaining it. All right, and, or I'll ask them, how many of you have had opportunities to be sexual, and you didn't walk through that open door? And every guy raises their hand. Every guy's got stories of of women that were sending them obvious signals of availability. And their self-limiting beliefs got in the way, or they thought they were misreading it, or they just got scared, or they got insecure, uh, you know, whatever came up. And the same thing around sex. I mean, almost every guy has a story of, you know, some woman at some point, you know, was either undressing him or undressing herself right there. And like, you know, he didn't have to do anything but just, you know, you know, be in the moment with it. And they found ways to, you know, to blow it. And so a big piece in, in this kind of challenging self-limiting beliefs and walking through open doors goes hand in hand. Because if your self-limiting beliefs are kind of driving your bus of how you see the, the world, your worldview, you, you, number one, won't see a lot of the open doors. Now, an interesting thing, uh, especially I noticed this with, with my second wife, who was very attractive, and I really noticed it with my now present wife, who is attractive, younger than me, and Latina. and um, both of these women pointed out, and my current wife still does, all the time, women that are trying to get my attention. And, you know, there's that part of me that still thinks, what? Now, uh, now, just your imagination. You're just being a girl, blah, 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 blah. But women are highly tuned to that. They're highly tuned to the competition of who might be trying to get the attention of the man they're with. And, um, and they're right. But because of even today, my self-limiting beliefs, at times my tendency is to disbelieve that, you know, that woman, especially if she was much younger than me or, you know, more attractive than what I think would come on to me, you know, I'll tend to think, no, nah, you're just making that up. That, you know, she, she wasn't checking me out. She wasn't trying to get my attention. And, um, and so that, that's kind of piece number one, that if, if you have these self-limiting beliefs, you won't see the open doors. And, and I know that drives women crazy. You know, women, when they find out I teach men to date and have relationship, you know, they'll, they'll say, you know, how come men will, you know, they'll stand like looking at you across the room and I'm smiling, I'm making eye contact, you know, I'm standing in a way that shows I'm open and, you know, why don't they approach? And I'll go, well, you scare us. And women will say, why? I go, because you're scary. And, and they'll go, well, and then, then if they, if you are having a conversation with them, it's going well, you're touching their arm, you know, you're laughing at their jokes and you're just waiting for them to, you know, ask for the number. And then they like, kind of talk about everything else under the sun and then reach out their hand and shake your hand and say, nice to meet you. Maybe we'll bump into each other again sometime. Women go, why, why do men do that? And again, it's our self-limiting beliefs that don't let us walk through those open doors because either we think we're misreading them or it triggers a fear, whatever it is. If we just start walking through open doors of opportunity, it will revolutionize our sex lives, you know, at least, at least, two, three, five, six, tenfold. I don't know the number, but it will change it dramatically. I have a good example of this. So I was in an improv class with this guy, Peter, if you're out there, this story is about you. 
Um, <laughs> I never saw this guy again. So I was in this drop-in improv class. You could just show up once a week, right? And so he was in, I think we were in two classes together. And after the second class, like I, I thought he was really cute. I was like, hey, would you mind walking me to my car? Because it wasn't really the best neighborhood in the world. But mostly I just wanted to talk to him. So he walks me to my car. We talk about stupid stuff. I'm pretty sure that he liked me. Like, I think he liked me and I liked him. And so it was kind of awkward. Um, And we get to my car and there's this moment where it's like, okay, bye. Like, like, if I was waiting for him to ask for either my number or my Instagram – or something. And I, I can do it myself. Like I can do it. I have done it. I've, you know, taken the lead, but, but lately what I want to see is whether the man can do it. Like Mm -hmm. I want to know that he can do it. Like I don't need him to take the lead all the time in the whole relationship, but I want to know that he has the capability to do it because I really want to be able to follow his lead in a relationship. And so there was that awkward moment. And then he was like, all right, well, bye. And then he like started to walk away. And I felt so disappointed because I was like, exactly like you described those women who were like, why did you, I don't get it. Like I, I was flirting with you during the class. I asked you to walk me to my car. I left a kind of space, you know, like moment there, like walk through the open door. God damn it. Yes. Like walk through the open fucking door, I opened the door for you. Yeah, Peter, Peter, if you're listening, yeah. this is a missed opportunity. Uh, Peter, if you're out there, like get in touch with me. There's, yeah, yeah. P- so Peter, she guys. just put up a billboard that says, call me, Peter, find me. And I tell guys, don't wait for the woman to put up that billboard that says, ask for my number. And, you know, so maybe being bold is, is another piece we need to add. But I, I love what you say about the, the setting the tone and leading. And I preach that. Um, and it's not from this, oh, you're the guys so and you've got to make all the decisions. It's not that at all. It goes back to my dance training that, you know, the lead's got to lead. The, the, you got to give the follow something to follow. And, and so what I tell guys is what happens, as you said, the woman can set the tone and lead. You can give the number. You can ask him out. But number one, that's not wired into your DNA. And number two, you probably have found out over time that if you start out leading from the very beginning in a relationship, the guy just, based on the way I put it, the guy just gets in the passenger seat and lets you drive thinking you want to drive. And you don't know that he'll, you know, offer to take the wheel and, you know, let you move to the passenger seat. And he'll just sit there and be passive and thinking that you want to drive and what, what I've seen is if the man will lead, if the default masculine character, you know, will just say, hey, give me your number. I'm going to give you a call. All right. You've sent all the signals. You've given the indicators of interest. And then he walks through that open door, says, give me your number. I'm going to give you a call. You know, I got a, I got a plan for, you know, something we can do next week. Then he's in the driver's seat. You get, you know, he even opens your door to get in the passenger seat. Um, and but. Then there can be a reciprocal trading off back and forth of, you know, leading and, you know, leading and following, leading and following, top and bottom, however you want to put it. But I found that if it starts out with the woman leading, that reciprocity never happens. If it starts out with the most masculine, kind of the default masculine character leading, then you can trade off back and forth. And and it's really nice. It's really a great way to do relationship. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Dating tip number five. 
Meeting tip number five, and it makes sense that, you know, we'll end with this one, and that is be a good ender. And this may also be one of those ones that guys are kind of scratching their head about for a minute. Um, but as I said, when I started dating, I realized I had to become a better picker. I had to pick better women. I, I, I shouldn't have dated either of my first two wives more than two dates. Uh, they're good people, but I shouldn't have dated them more. But I was married for 25 years between the two of them. And what I found is, yes, you've got to learn how to, to make better decisions about how you pick, how you get into a relationship, how you get to know a person, how you test for their nature, find out how well how they fit into your life. Those are conscious things we need to do. But if you think about it, dating is a series of making a lot of bad picks. But you don't know that until you've gone on a date or two or three. And then you realize, okay, you know, I thought there might be potential, but I don't feel it, or I don't like this, or there's this red flag. So you end it. So I say being a good ender can cover a multitude of sins where it comes to being a bad picker. And dating is about making a lot of picks and knowing that most of them are not going to work out. Now, for me, that's, this is one of my most challenging life skills is being a good ender, not just in a relationship, but in, in all things, you know, even just like going through your closet and getting rid of clothes you haven't worn in three years or that don't fit you or aren't in style. I've gotten really good at that, but I've had to work at it um, probably for a number of reasons, both social and familial. That you just don't get rid of anything, including relationships. But if you're not in the best relationship for you, or if you're, if you're dating somebody for three months and, and you, you, you don't really see this being your ideal partner for a long-term relationship, but you can't end it because you don't want to hurt their feelings or you don't want to feel like a schmuck or, or you're just afraid. Um, okay. There, there's no, you, you basically close the door on you getting the love and relationship that you want because you're hanging out with somebody that you don't want to, but you're not actually leaving them to open the door for somebody else that might be a better fit for you and probably a better fit for the other person as well. So when I was dating, I made a very conscious decision. I was going to practice being a good ender. I was going to welcome the opportunities to end. Now, sometimes that was ending well after one coffee date. And I went on a lot of one and done coffee type dates. And I think that's actually a good thing. Um, that, that should happen. Don't treat that as, oh, what's wrong with me? I never get past the first date. I don't think most first dates should go into a second date. But you need to find that out and then be a good ender. Now, just being a good ender after one date usually just means you don't call them back. Or if they like follow up and get in touch with you and want to see you again, then you need just need to be clear. Hey, it was nice to meet you. I enjoyed the time, but I just don't feel the chemistry I need to, to you know move forward with that. But be clear about it. Now, especially if you get two or three dates in, or especially if you've had sex with them, you need to be a little bit clearer that, that okay, I don't see this moving forward. Or if we do keep seeing each other, I see it in this context. And I tell guys sooner is always better than later. You know, it's better to break up after three dates than after three years or three kids or $300,000 in mortgage payments um, sooner rather than later. And, and the story that I tell guys, I, because I stayed way too long in my first two marriages, was not a good ender. Both of my first two ex-wives for long periods of time, many years each, wanted nothing to do with me. And, and, you know, that, that's, that's all settled. But when I was practicing being a good ender, most of the women I ended with wanted to continue to be my friend and, and liked me. And, and I tell the story, one December, my birthday's in December, and so around the holidays, 
five different ex-girlfriends, four of whom I'd broken up with, um, all contacted me just to say happy birthday, happy holidays, want to go get a coffee, want to get a drink, want to have sex. Um, and, and, and a sixth that I dated saw me at a breakfast buffet that I was at with my stepkids and walked across the room to say, hi, how are you doing? It's good to see you again. So six ex-girlfriends, five of whom I'd broken up with, all still thought I was a good guy after the fact because I had been a good ender. I'd done it well. I'd done it in a very loving and conscious way. And, um, and there was no baggage, no residue left from that. And they didn't have to carry that residue into their next relationships, as a lot of us tend to do. So tip number five, practice being a good ender is the loving thing to do. And it opens the door for you and the other person to both get what you're really looking for. Yeah, I really like that. And especially the part about being clear, direct, being upfront and being quick. So I think the, the opposite of that is like, you're not really feeling it. So you kind of back away slowly. Maybe you ghost, maybe you're really passive. There's not, there's not a lot of, um, cause what you're describing is a very kind of masculine move, which is like, Hey, I had a great time. I'm not really seeing this moving forward, but I wanted to say it was nice to meet you. Let me know if you have any thoughts, you know, whatever, however you phrase it, actually speaking up and speaking to it rather than just ghosting, for example, which is a very passive thing to do or or continuing it because you feel bad or because it's sort of like good enough, like good enough is not good enough. Guys, good enough is not good enough. If it's like, well, it's okay. You know, it's fine. Like I I'm with you, uh, Robert, I've had multiple clients sort of describe being in like 10 year marriages, kind of knowing early on, like, yeah, it's not really it, but you know, she was one of the only women that dated me in college or (laughs) like whatever it was, it was sort of like, yeah, that's not, that's not good enough. Like you need to have more, experience and and feel more inspired by the partnership than that to really thrive because what we're going for is like thriving vibrant healthy relationships which if you're having a thriving healthy vibrant relationship there's some mess involved right like if it's just always tepid or it's always sort of skating along like that's not that's not it and and it's kind of like what you said of the of the passive aggressive thing or the sort of like not direct communication. I feel like that comes up a lot in those kinds of tepid relationships because we're not actually talking about the real thing or we're sort of like skirting issues the whole time we're in relationship and or sweeping things under the rug. And like, that's not it either. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, I'm grinning ear to ear and cheering for you. Cause I agree with you hundred percent. You know, if we're, if we're going to make the investment to have a person in our life, um, to date them, to live with them, to be sexual, to start families with them. Let's let's be with somebody that is a hell yeah, not like, well, okay, it's kind of the best I could get. Um, that, that's not loving. And, and I tell guys, never get with somebody that you don't consider to be your really great woman, even if she's a good woman. And I would say that, you know, my first couple of wives were good women, but they weren't my really great woman. And what you then do is you start trying to change them. Subtly or not so subtly, trying to get them to be different, to get them to stop being this or become that. And I I don't know about your people listening, but if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody who wanted you to change, you don't feel particularly loved by them. 
and I, I, I don't if somebody wants me to be different. So don't settle. Um, you know, don't date down and don't stay with somebody that's just not the most amazing person you can imagine yourself being with. And that'll be messy. My wife is fucking amazing. Um, she's got so many qualities that I love and she drives me fucking crazy at times. And she says, I'm the ocean. You wouldn't want, the ocean's not the same every day. The ocean one day's stormy, one day's calm, big waves, small waves. It's always changing. And, and she said, you don't want me to, to be the same every day, do you? And I'll go, no, of course not. Be you. Don't ever change who you are. I'll just deal with the fact that you drive me crazy sometimes. <laughs> I really, I really like that. And I, I really appreciate the honesty because I think that's really what we need more of is sort of relationship role models that are kind, that kind of um, show what it's like. Because we have so few examples of healthy relationship in the media or in movies or on TV. You know, there's a lot of plots that kind of end with, and then they got married. It's like, yeah, yeah you didn't show us their first fight. Like, you didn't show us, like, the stuff that really matters in terms of how to have a healthy, thriving relationship. So I really, I really like that. Like, and it's so true. You know, the feminine is the ocean. It does change all the time. And expecting it to not change all the time or be perfectly neat and tidy is not realistic and leads, I think, to a lot of disappointment on the part of at least the men I know. Like a lot yeah. of the men I know are like frustrated that she's not more um, predictable or reliable. And um, like a woman can be reliable, but she's still going to have emotions that are going to change a lot. And it's sort of like the reason I think maybe it frustrates them is like they want to know the right answer or they want to be able to yeah. control the outcome of it instead of like I'm here holding space and I'm witnessing what's what's happening and using my intuition to respond to it instead of like I want a rule book where th- this equals that <laughs> and if this then that you know what I mean well I get believe me I've worked with men for a long long time for many years and I'm a guy and you know guys will say well what do you do when a woman does this and I go, well, I, I can't give you this canned answer. Um, there may be a lot of things. You might have to set a boundary. You might have to tell her to get her clothes off and go get in the bed. You know, you, you might tickle her. You, you, you might, you know, uh, have to withdraw yourself for a little bit. There's, you know, but it, it does come. But knowing that you can handle whatever comes and loving somebody so deeply that you want the best outcome of these situations. And, um, and again, you know, I, I love my wife dearly. Um, and she, you know, has behaviors that make me nuts. And so I had to go to work on, you know, not letting myself have negative reactions to the things that made me nuts. And the funny thing is when I quit, quit reacting negatively to those things, it's kind of like, it's like, why did I let that bother me so much in the first place? But it's, it's just my stuff, right? That I, like a guy, I want everything smooth and calm. And um, you're probably aware of the person I'm about to mention. I heard uh, David Data say one time that for the feminine, drama is foreplay. You know, we we guys think, you know, everything's got to be calm and smooth and easy if we're going to have sex. No, drama is foreplay, you know, for the feminine. So we guys have to to learn to tussle with that and play with it and lead it and penetrate it and, and embrace it and have fun with it. Um, but that's a whole other podcast. We we can dive into that another time. Yeah, we're going to start to wrap up, but I just want to um, 
give another shout out to uh, support. So one of the things you mentioned was getting therapy, getting coaching, joining a men's group, you know, doing all of that stuff. I just want to highlight that because I think a lot of times it can be easy to gloss over like, oh, and then I did therapy and then, you know, all this other stuff, but just a shout out to that shit works. It works. It helps. It does transform. Your life is different after. It might take a while, but you're going to get there. So for anyone out there, I just wanted to just highlight that point. By the way, the, 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 I told you, I, I, I put, I substituted in my top five while we were talking. And the one that I took out is build a support system. Um, yeah, I, I'm married. I, I've got a PhD in marriage and family therapy. I'm on my third marriage. I teach men how to have relationships. And when I started struggling in my marriage with my reactions and, you know, here was a woman I loved, but yet we were, we weren't, we weren't doing well all the time. I went and got a coach. I joined a men's program. That was a year and a half ago. Two years ago, it's made a major difference. I'm still got that coach. I'm still in that men's program. I'm still constantly working on the resourcing me in a way that lets me show up and and lead and create a healthy tone in my relationship. So, uh, and I'll throw out one other piece that one of my uh, certified coaches wrote a blog article recently that I really liked around dating. And he said, build a, a relationship posse, get a few people in your life who know you well. And when you start dating, you need to start vetting the people you date with these people, because he said, we're, we're going to instinctively make all the wrong decisions because most of our dating, most of our attraction is usually for all the wrong reasons. And so, yeah, get those support systems, do the work on you. Uh, when you're dating, when you're getting to know people, you know, make sure real early on these people meet your friends, your family, you meet their friends and family, because if we don't, we'll, we'll go into this stuff blind and we'll ignore a lot of red flags. So yeah, get those support systems. I love it. Thanks for including that. I think that's really, I think that's really beautiful. And I think that's really um, inspiring what you said about like, yeah, I was struggling in my relationship and I went back to getting support and it works. It Mm -hmm. works. It helped the relationship. I bet, I bet your wife was glad too. Like I love when my, the guys that I'm dating have a men's group, have a coach, have a therapist, have outside support because my life is better. (laughs) My life is better because he has other people to talk to about what's going on and to just feel connected and feel approved of and feel even challenged in those relationships in a way that I can't be that for him. Like I just can't be, I just can't offer everything, you know, and my man can't offer me everything. So thanks for speaking to that. That was great. Where can people find you and what are you up to now? Uh, two places they can find me either at drglover.com, just D-R-G-L-O-V-E-R, um, or datingessentialsformen.com. As we talk, uh, my new book just became available this week. So uh, this is good timing. So dating essentials for men, especially if these are single guys listening. Um, if they Google Robert Glover, if they Google Dr. or no more Mr. Nice Guy, I'll, I'll come up at the very top. So they can go um, uh, find my classes, my workshops, my seminars, my podcasts, my books, uh, either drglover.com or datingessentialsformen.com. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of Dear Men. Thank you for listening. If you want to reach out, we would love to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Dear Men Podcast. That's at Dear Men Podcast. Or Facebook, we have a group, Dear Men Podcast. 
We also have an email address, dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to join the Big Sexy Dataset, the community of people who regularly respond to the surveys that we talk about on this podcast, just email us at that address, dearmenpodcast at gmail.com, and we will set you up. Have a sexy day.